1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello, everybody. My name is John Bleasdale, and I am a writer and film critic. And today I am going to be talking to Ben Slater, the author of Kinda Hot The Making of St. Jack in Singapore. This book. Chronicles the Making of Peter Bogdanovich's wonderful film starring Ben Gazzara and Denholm Elliott. It's a film that I hadn't heard about to tell you the truth before Ben Slater got in touch with me and uh, told me about his book. So I watched it precisely so that I could read the book and and get the most out of it. I was incredibly grateful because this is a superb film and a wonderful performance. Actually, every aspect of this film is great. It looks fantastic. The story is fascinating performances are all great as i've already mentioned it's a real treat if you haven't seen saint jack before listen to the podcast and then and then i'm i guarantee you will want to dig it out and and, and watch it or do it the other way around i don't care whichever works for me if you enjoyed the episode please remember to like subscribe do all those things uh, on social media that that will help us grow as a podcast i truly appreciate it and enjoy the conversation
0: But, it, but, it, but yes, so how did I get to Singapore? <laughs> well, I mean, to, when we talk about my uh, interest in St. Jack and, um, you know, it, it comes out of my coming to Singapore for the first time. And, and so my relationship with the film and my relationship with Singapore, they really they run parallel to each other. Uh, so I, I originally came to Singapore in, in 1998 to do a theatre production. So I had gone to university with a Singaporean friend who was a student at Bristol Uni with me when we were doing drama, and she had come back to Singapore after graduation, and she invited me along with her another really good friend of mine from Bristol who would become her husband, and they uh, had started a little theatre company, and they invited me to come in 98, and they told me that the year before, in 1997, they had attended the first ever screening in Singapore of this film called St. Jack, and I, I, w- I knew the name and I knew Bogdanovich. You know, I was I was pretty uh, aware of Bogdanovich's career. But I had somehow never seen saint Jack, and was really only dimly aware that it was made in Singapore. I just knew there was this film that was based on a Paul through novel that was set in Asia, but I had, knew very little about it. And now I was in Singapore and I was getting to know this country that I think a lot of people don't know very much about Singapore. Even today, and there have been things like Crazy Rich Asians and Singapore comes up in the news in all sorts of weird contexts, like I know it came up in the UK a lot. during Brexit uh, as some sort of exemplar, but generally speaking, people don't really know much about Singapore, and I certainly didn't, I was completely ignorant about Singapore. So I came to Singapore in the late 90s, was heard about this film that had been made in Singapore, so I was immediately very curious about the film, and suddenly I now had this relationship with Singapore, and I fell in love with a Singaporean. All right <laughs> is that oversharing I don't know so i so i'm I'm falling in love with a country I'm falling in love with a person who is 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 now my wife and she's you know in the next room and and then I'm hearing about this film and I'm so curious about the film and I go back to the u k after this time I spent in Singapore it's about two months, and I can't see the film because it came out in England or the UK on VHS in the early 80s, but basically was out of print. And I couldn't get hold of the VHS tape, and there was no DVD at that point, And DVD was just starting to become popular then. And then I, all I could do was read the book. So I got hold of, of Paul Theroux's novel, St. Jack, and I really enjoyed it. And the book has like a very, very palpable sense of place. And I was able to connect that, even though Singapore has changed so radically. And that is part of the narrative of Singapore, that it's just moved so fast and developed so quickly that the world of St. Jack is almost like another country. There were, there were enough pockets of old Singapore that I had bumped into Uh, that I could really connect it with the book and really enjoyed the book, as well as it being this kind of bit of the past and a bit of the history of Singapore. And then finally, in I think about early 2001, I I was just looking on Amazon and I saw there was a DVD of St. Jack. And at that point, Roger Corman had started putting out some of his more sort of prestige titles on dvd in america and i I, you know immediately ordered it it was on ntsc so i had to find a player for it and um for for non-uk listeners ntsc is not a format we can play in the uk we play pal and luckily i was working in a cinema in sheffield and we had an ntsc player and i watched the film and so going to singapore in 98 was a life-changing experience in a lot of ways, but then watching the film was like a whole other life-changing experience. I mean, I'd been looking forward to seeing the film. I'd been excited about it, and I'd heard about it from my friends who'd seen it in 97. And by the way, the film was still banned in Singapore. They were only allowed to do this one screening in in 97 as part of the film festival. You know, the film was more than I could have hoped for. You know, I, I think I probably had set my expectations to... Maybe it wouldn't be quite as good as I hoped it would be, but I just loved the film and was really blown away by it. I mean, it just absolutely exceeded all expectations I had. And there were a couple of things that really stood out for me. One was the the sort of documentary quality to the filming, in that it captured this old Singapore that was more or less gone. But as I say, there are little corners of Singapore that that you can kind of identify and actually quite a few of the places in the film you can still go to. And they're not that different. So there was that quality to it. And you know, the fashion, the way people spoke was captured in this really, uh, it felt very authentic way. And then there was the, the non-professional cast, you know, because, uh, basically apart from the Brits who will hang out in the bar and Gazara and George Lazenby and Bogdanovich himself, of course, it's, it, it's an entirely non-professional cast. And I just found that the way that Bogdanovich was able to work with essentially amateur actors and blend them in with his professional cast, it just works so well. And that, and that is an incredibly hard thing to do. And there was, there was a real feeling of warmth about the film it didn't feel patronizing at all. It, it didn't feel like this group of, uh, you know, white dudes showing up and sort of making Singapore into a backdrop to their story. It felt, you know, there is an element of that. <laughs> and that can't be denied. And that is sort of baked into the novel as well as the film. But there was this. There was a real warmth and generosity to the way that Singapore is used as a location and more than a location actually there are characters in the film who are Singaporean or Asian who do feel like real people, they don't feel like props uh, that were just there in the backdrop which is often the case in other films from say the 60s and 70s, American and British films that are shot in Asia some of them shot in Singapore where you know the the they're just they're just waiters and and maids and policemen and they just don't really have any agency but it really felt like these characters were really breathing and really alive so I immediately thought I really want to find out about this film like there was a lot of questions and I'd done a little bit of research online and at that time Bogdanovich was quite low-key I would say as a presence he was Kind of had done a bunch of TV movies in the 90s but he wasn't doing a lot the cat's meow had been out I think uh, and he but he'd done a few interviews and he talked about Saint Jack and and there's also a commentary track on the on the DVD which isn't great I can say that now. Uh, it's mostly Bogdanovich saying I heard they I heard they tore that building down but I could tell you know just from reading a, a, a bit here and a bit there that there was an interesting story behind the making of the film. And you know, when I heard that Orson Welles was the person that identified it as material for a movie, I was immediately like, "Okay, there's a there's a good story here," and uh, and that's when I decided not to write a book. My first instinct was ridiculously to make a documentary. Uh, it, It didn't even occur to me to write a book. I was just thinking, "Okay, I'm going to do a documentary." And we're going to go to Singapore. I'm going to go back to Singapore with a camera. And we're going to film the Singapore now. And we're going to compare it to Singapore then. And we're going to try and find the people that worked on the film and interview them. And it will be really, really interesting. And, of course, none of that happened. (laughs) I never got anywhere with that project. And uh, one or two years later, I moved to Singapore. I decided to just take the leap and go to Singapore uh, uh, to be with Marianne. And then in the back of my mind, it was like, I've got to do something about St. Jack. I've got to do something. And I began to meet people who knew about film and I met people that knew about the, about St. Jack. But, you know, it, finding... I thought Singapore's a really small place and you, and you meet one person, they know someone and they know someone. It's very easy to build a network in Singapore quite quickly. But I wasn't meeting anyone who knew, like, first-hand stories about what the filmmaking had been like. It just wasn't bumping into those people. And so it's, it went on the back burner and then um, a few years later I kind of revived it and I start, I was doing, I had a film blog and this was sort of, this is pre-social media really. It was when there was that period where blogging was social media. Do you remember that?
1: (laughs) Twitter, I remember uh, first reading about Twitter as a micro blogging site
0: Yes. Yes. So the, exactly. So the yes. actual
1: definition of Twitter was micro blogging. So tiny, hundred and twenty characters. Yes. Save,
0: save yourself having to craft you know really complicated bits of writing, and you just have to write your thoughts out. I remember thinking as a blogger in the sort of two thousand and five period oh, you know, that would be great not to have to write such long posts. Mm. Um, anyway, I, I, wrote a, I wrote two posts about St. Jack, which were entirely based on just stuff I'd gleaned on the internet and just putting them together. And they did get a really good response. And so I knew someone who worked for a publisher in Singapore, and I asked her, you know, do you think anyone would be interested in this book? Because I, I needed a kick in the backside. I needed somebody to say, hey, we want this book. Uh, I was teaching uh, and I was doing various other things and I just needed somebody to say, hey, there's value in this, go ahead and do it. And that's when the idea for doing it as a book came. And, and then I did, uh, a publisher did offer me a very, very, very tiny advance and a deadline and that is exactly what I needed. And that, it all actually happened really quickly. Uh, I think I I started in early 2004 it was basically late 2004 into 2005 and then it was it was done by early 2006 and then it came out so it's actually a really old book now (laughs) well relatively speaking
1: when i finished it i was reading the glossaries in the back of the not the glossaries the sort of bios in the back and it was interesting because Bogdanovich was kind of like you know and that was the last thing he did and it was like oh, I saw a film of his quite recently and of course he yes. he then came out and made of uh, maybe a couple of films after that I saw a film of his at Venice which I really liked
0: w- would that would that have been she's funny that way yes that would have been that that would have been well that. you 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 have to read the article and I'll send you the link if you haven't seen it to this guy called James Kenny. Who's found the Bogdanovich's preferred cut of She's Funny That Way?
1: Oh, right. Okay. Uh, which
0: was which was called Squirrels to the Nuts. And there was some dispute with the producers and it was very drastically re edited and reshot. Um, somewhat against Bogdanovich's wishes and but he kind of just went along with it. But there is another cut of the film that has been uh, that has showed up. Uh, weirdly enough, on eBay. And, and this guy who's a super Bogdanovich fan called James has managed to get hold of it.
1: Oh, wow. No, I'll, I'll, have, I'll look into that. Just for our, our listeners, because I I had never heard of St. Jack before I, I received your book or I received your email first. And I was kind of like, oh, do I want to watch a, a sort of lesser Bogdanovi- Bogdanovich? <laughs> Damn, I really. And I thought, okay, I found it. I, I watched it before I read your book. Oh, good. And I was just blown away. I had very, as, as you can tell, very low expectations. I mean, I like Bogdanovich, nothing nothing to criticise him, but the, just the very fact that I hadn't heard anything about this film made me think, well, there's probably a reason for that. And I, I, I really, really rated it. I just would like for the listeners, because I, I think probably quite a few of them haven't seen the film, if you could just give us a sort of like a setup of the synopsis.
0: So St. Jack is... Weirdly enough it's actually a period piece in that it was filmed in 1978 but it's set in 1972 and it it it's about an american expatriate who's been living in singapore for at least 15 years maybe more and he has a day job where he works as a ship's chandler which means basically he helps uh, a chinese businessman to sell you know stuff to sailors and ships that are coming to Singapore and and stopping at the port but we don't really see very much of that because Jack has a double life he's actually a pimp and uh and he's he makes money from taking visitors to Singapore to meet girls and boys or whatever they want and he's kind of made this really weird life for himself as a he's a kind of a hustler essentially and uh in the movie he's played by ben gazzara
1: who is phenomenal who is phenomenal that's such a good performance That's such a i would put it up there with like jeff bridges in the dude in the the big lebowski which of course gazzara's in as well also playing, also playing, kind of you could you could kind of watch this as a prequel to uh, to the Big Lebowski.
0: Well, it, it, the character he becomes in the Big Lebowski that would be like the best case scenario, right? For for Jack Flowers that he becomes Jackie Treehorn, uh, a, a, you know, and, and becomes a, a successful pornographer. But yeah, no, I mean, Gazara is quite similar in a lot of his films. Mm but this is this is really like maximum gazzara I mean it's i mean along with killing of a chinese bookie and 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 a couple of other great performances i mean this is this draws out all the best qualities of Gazara, which is this amazing face, really, and that
1: and that wonderful voice. That I think you refer to it in the book as that sort of typical drawl.
0: Yes, and and I, I, one of the people that worked on the film said that when he was shooting, they couldn't understand what he was saying because he he sp- he spoke so low and so deep that it it was it was barely audible. <laughs> but it was like beautifully picked up on the mics. And uh, yeah, no, he's got this amazing voice, and he just feels like a, a somebody who's really lived a life. And seen a lot, and he was you know, Gazzara was definitely a very troubled guy, and so he was he's able to express all of this insecurity and this sort of fear that the Jack character has in his eyes, even while he puts on this appearance of being completely on top of things. So Jack, the trajectory of Jack is that he wants to start his own brothel, uh, and he has this dream of almost a Playboy mansion like place, this kind of beautiful old mansion. With a lot with live music and a bar and beautiful women floating around, and he briefly achieves that dream, but uh, but unfortunately he runs foul of local gangsters, and then in the sort of final act of the film, he has one last chance to sort of make make a buck, which is when he is well. Firstly, he gets offered uh, the opportunity to run an R and R camp for GIs who are on their break from fighting in the Vietnam War. And that was a very important subplot for Bogdanovich because he really saw this as his anti-war statement. And then when that falls apart, as it eventually does, he gets another chance to become a blackmailer, basically. And that kind of sets up the final confrontation of the film, which I don't want to spoil for people. So it's really a film about a man who's extremely amoral in many ways, finding his morality or finding the edges of his morality. And that is definitely an element of, of Theroux's novel, but that gets brought out even more in uh, Bogdanovich's version.
1: It's weird because you're watching this movie and I'm thinking, I can see where a bad movie would go here. I would, I can see a sort of... Yeah. Uh, a, 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 one of the things that, that really elevates the film is the friendship between Gazara's character, Jack Flowers, and uh, William Lee... The character played by Denholm Elliott and sort of English, similar sort of an expat who's living in Hong Kong, but who comes in temporarily to do some accountancy work for the, the company that Jack works for. And he's got a sort of taxi him around and, and they sort of become friends. And there's a small moment that I wanted to just underline because I think I, lo- I treasure these moments in films as a writer, as, as somebody who's also attempted to write screenplays of varying, varying degrees of success. Me too. Me
0: too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> There's a bit where in the taxi, Gazara refer, Jack refers to William as as Willie or Billy or something. You know, he abbreviates his name. And, I think uh, it was in
0: Bill, yeah. Bill,
1: yeah. And he and he says, yeah, Bill, because it's not even that sort of like over friendly or anything like that. William says, no, 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 uh, William. And for the and that's it. For the rest of the film, he calls him William, and he's corrected, and he's, and I just thought that's so good because you know you're setting up this quite stuffy English character with this very laid back American character, and yeah. a, a lesser screenwriter, a lesser novelist, a lesser film would have maintained that sort of friction for a little bit longer, you know, maybe until something happened, and then as a sign of respect, I'll call you. But Gazzara is just like he's partly because of that's his role he's he's there to make people comfortable so you want to be called william that's important to people i'm going to yeah, call you yeah, william yeah. and it's just such a uh, it's wonderful but i love that whole relationship with deno amelia and, and Gazara. and again perhaps a career best performance from deno Elliott in this as well
0: yeah it's a one it's a wonderful performance from elliot um the interesting thing about that friendship is that isn't really in the book that is something that developed as they were working on the script uh, and especially once they got to Singapore as well because there was a lot of improvisation, a lot of last-minute rewriting. But they, the, the book was rather problematic to, to adapt because essentially it begins with William Lee arriving in Singapore and then, spoiler alert, uh, dying, uh, and then it goes into a series of flashbacks to Jack Flowers' past, and then it sort of catches up at the present. And that was a real problem for them to kind of make that into a satisfying film not to mention the fact they'd have to sort of age characters and de-age characters at various points which was not something that was easy to do at, at that point and so the the idea of of basically breaking up William Lee's visit so he comes three times instead of one was a brilliant idea because it essentially gives their Three sections to the film that are all sort of marked around those visits. But in order for that to work, the relationship had to change between the characters. And in Thoreau's book, William Lee is a kind of shadow figure for Jack, who really is, he embarrasses him. Mm. He's this person that Jack sees himself in and yet is sort of cringing at the way he behaves. Um, and then, of course, when he dies, he's really feeling his own mortality. Whereas in the movie, they do make it into a much more of a, essentially, a kind of buddy relationship. As you say, it's this kind of, these, these unlikely uh, uh, friends. Uh, and yet, it, and it creates a whole level of warmth, which isn't in the book. And, and you know, the, the interplay between the two of them is really beautiful. Uh, but that point that you made earlier about how the film, you can see the way the film could go perhaps in a, a more cliché direction and then it steers away from it. I mean, that really was Bogdanovich's mode. Like, he could see the, 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 the beats that would be the obvious beats, and he really always tried to go left instead of right. Uh, you know, for instance, the, um, the obvious scene is the scene where the, the young boy beats up the prostitute and there is that and for me this is one of the most powerful scenes in the film Mm. which is where Jack just walks into the bedroom and sees him with his friends afterwards after they've made sure the girl is okay and he just looks at him and that's it and in the book I think he does slap him around a little bit I mean it's not really a scene but it's just mentioned but Bogdanovich just didn't want that kind of moment and similarly he doesn't ever get revenge on the gangsters that, that sort of beat him up So it it never goes to those really obvious places. So it does become, and that and the friendship as well, it it feeds into this that it sort of goes against some typical idea about masculinity and being a hero.
1: And also cross cultural things of sort of Englishness and Americanness and the loud American against the sort of well, the all the English are the loud Americans, the loud ugly Americans are, are the English guys in the bar, not the not
2: Jack.
0: Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, that, a lot of that comes from Paul Theroux's experience teaching at the university in Singapore. And in some ways, the the St. Jack book is a, a thinly veiled metaphor, if you will, for Paul Theroux being this sort of young American showing up at this very stuffy English expat environment and being made to feel like a second class citizen. And, but, you know, Bogdanovich had none of that baggage. So he does something very different with it. And he makes William Lee into this much more sympathetic character. Uh, But while they still keep the guys in the bar being an awful chorus of racism and misogyny and generally examples of what you shouldn't be, but they're also comic characters as well.
1: I kind of wouldn't mind having a drink Rodney with them. Rodney Buse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Rodney Buse from The Likely Lads shows up. That's a that's an unlikely lad if I've ever seen one. And,
0: and you, the, the, I mean, this is probably more trivia than anyone wants to know, but when I was researching my book, I tried to interview Rodney Buse, and I, got, uh, I found his agent's, contact somewhere and I wrote to them and he said um, I'm sorry Rodney's not available he's writing his own memoir and he will be covering St. Jack in his memoir and um, you know I think about two years later I found the memoir and I was like, okay, I've got to, I've, maybe there's some really great details that I could, didn't include in my book. And it was barely mentioned. It was like there was just one passing reference to him being drunk the whole time, not remembering much and not liking Peter Bogdanovich. And that was basically it. So Rodney Bews <laughs> did not have great stories about his time in Singapore.
1: Yeah, apparently you said Joss Ackland of that bunch was, uh, didn't get on with anybody.
0: Yes, yeah, because Joss Ackland's character in the book is the leader he's he's the one that's sort of in charge of that group and the most cutting one and you you do see well he basically doesn't show up again mm. he's he's in the first big scene in the in the bar but then he's he disappears and that is apparently because he just didn't really want to come back and he somehow managed to get out of his contract and where so James Villiers who's brilliant ends up taking on a lot of his role and his lines and i think they rewrote a lot of them themselves although to be fair to threw quite a lot of it comes from him
1: Right, I see. I mean, also, you mentioned in the book there was a quotation I think coming via Bogdanovich from Howard Hawks, where he talks about how audiences always expect certain scenes, and they're really happy when you don't give them those scenes. Yes, and I think yes. that's, uh, I think that's uh, referring to the to the the scene in the brothel in the R and R center when the young boy sort of beats up the prostitute. That's that's doing that, you know. That's giving you. That's not yeah, giving no, that, you the that... scene that you you go. Okay, now we've got to see this confrontation, and it's like no, there's no confrontation
0: yeah there, there were there, you know bogdanovich is making this film in a very in a in a total state of creative freedom you know roger corman had financed it and given him you know at least a million dollars maybe a bit more you know opinions vary on how much was put into it and he was in singapore he had almost no one checking in on him i mean he was he was able to do whatever he wanted creatively uh, gazara deserves a lot of credit i think he did a lot of work rewriting the script too and they they could just i mean within the practicalities of filming uh, a relatively low budget film uh on entirely on location which was really hard i mean that was it was damn hard work but you no, nobody was stopping him doing whatever he wanted with the story
1: one million in singapore would Still, I mean, you're still filming. I mean, they had to get all the equipment flown in uh, with Lufthansa. Yeah. I mean, it's not the maybe the cheapness of I'm not even sure would Singapore have been particularly cheap.
0: I, yeah, I think Singapore would. It, it, it was more expensive than some of the other options, particularly sure. the Philippines, which is where Roger Corman wanted them to film. Uh, there, the money would have gone a lot further, but Bogdanovich really insisted on shooting in Singapore because of the book being set in Singapore, and he realised that Singapore had very unique characteristics in terms of the sort of multiracial mix of it uh, and the uh, and the landscape and the geography of it that he wanted to capture. So yeah, the money, the money definitely, it, the money was spent quickly, but they they could do a, quite a bit with it. But they were working within certain parameters. For instance. They tried to shoot everything in private locations like hotels and people's houses. Um, They really tried to avoid anything that would involve bringing them up with uh, getting permission from the Singapore government, Uh, which is a whole other dimension of the film that we've not talked about, which is that essentially they were making it in secret. (laughs) <laughs> which is which was another aspect of when I was thinking about writing the book I was like this is this is wild I mean there are very very few movies made at this level with you know famous actors famous directors where they made the film in secret
1: it's it's like a peter sellers film isn't
0: it yeah after the fox yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that that aspect of it was like, how did they do it? You know, like, it, like I, I they, as I say, I was filled with questions. Like, how do you pull that off? How do you make a film of that scale without people finding out? So, how much
1: um, input did you have from Bogdanovich and and uh, the other sort of creative forces that, that went into making the film?
0: I mean, I I didn't want to write the book unless Peter Bogdanovich A approved of it and B was willing to talk to me about it. Um, it would have, wouldn't have worked if I hadn't got his his take on it and 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 so I had a contact who had interviewed him for another book. It was actually Tom Charity. I don't know whether you know Tom Charity, who used to write for Time Out. He wrote a book about John Casavetes, and mm. he had interviewed Peter for that. So Tom very generously gave me Peter's contact, or the contact for one of his assistants. And so I wrote to him, and I I was amazed that I got a response. And it took a while, but you know, not that long. I was listening to your interview with Jonathan Melville, where some of his interviews take years to come off. Uh, I think you know, I'm, it took me a month or two, but finally, I did get Peter on the phone, and you know, that was an amazing call, and we spoke for about two hours, and I interviewed him about three times I think and each time was about two hours and what I did was I didn't interview him all in one big chunk I spaced it out so that I was able to come back to him after I'd done more research and spoken to more people and when I first interviewed him even though people hadn't asked him a lot about St. Jack they'd asked him enough that he had certain set anecdotes Mm. and if you hear any interviews with Peter you know there are certain routines he will go into Uh, certain stories that he will repeat and so he'd repeated a fair few of the St. Jack stories uh, and I needed to try and get beyond that so I did manage to do that each time I interviewed him I sort of hit him with new things that I'd learned and then he could then respond to it and he was actually really good about it because sometimes I'm hitting him with things that weren't necessarily very positive for instance I realized there was this conflict on set between him and the French producer who had been hired by Corman to oversee the production, a guy called Pierre Cottrell, and Cottrell only had negative things to say about Peter. He absolutely hated, and now both both of them have passed away. I can talk about it a bit more freely, and I had to temper that to some extent. But I was able to go to Peter and say, uh, "I've interviewed Pierre now," and I remember the first time I told Peter that I'd interviewed Pierre, and I could I could feel him sort of even on the phone i could feel him sort of becoming quite uncomfortable yeah, the
1: temperature the temperature in the room went very
0: cold yes i'm trying to find the right metaphor yeah something about the air the air in the room changed and uh and he was like oh you have you you've talked to pierre have you you know and that and then it was like okay and now we got onto this other topic was which was you know the fights they were having and then this in a way the book has a, a little bit of a climax which is where there, there's a there's a little bit of a chase to see who can get the film uh, who can seize the film uh, 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 with Pierre versus Peter which is kind of a fun thing that I found out about and uh, I was able to ask Peter what happened and get his version of the events. So yes I had access to Peter. Uh, uh, ben Gazara I was able to speak to and Ben Gazzara was at that point living in, he, he would spend a lot of the year in Italy and, and he was writing his own biography, his autobiography at that time. And then I think he, he actually started writing a novel. I have a feeling that when I spoke to him, he was writing a novel, which has never been published, hmm. but somewhere there is a Ben Gazzara novel out there. And uh, maybe I'm finished, but I, I had about a 20 minute call with him and that was really magical. Um, As I think I say in the book, I mean, it feels like you're actually talking to the character from the film, Uh, because the way he speaks, it's very poetic, it's, uh, it's very funny uh and you know he really is that guy so it was that was i you know when you speak to ben gazzara you're just on a high after that
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's got a sort of legendary aspect to him
0: but but he but you mentioned his voice but sadly by the time i spoke to him his voice had really gone because he'd he'd had cancer Mm. and he'd he'd if you watch the later
2: performance
0: In the last few films he did, the voice is really there's very little of it left, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, those those constant cigarettes in the end, they'll, they'll cigars, get you. cigars as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My God, he smokes all the way through the film as well, doesn't he? And in fact, the cigar is 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 like a almost becomes like a metaphor that he's constantly. Exchanging cigars with the CIA guy.
0: Yeah, him and I mean, and Peter Bogdanovich plays this character, the, the, mm. the you know Eddie Schum and the the sort of CIA spook character. And they are, there's a lot of cigar smoking there. There is, you know, even though the film questions certain elements of masculinity, there is also another very macho element to it uh, of these two guys smoking cigars and sharing the same women and 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 you know having a wild old time in Asia. Uh, and there, there definitely is that element to it as well, which is it makes it you know a little bit more uncomfortable now. But I think the the the, the good elements of it sort of outweigh that. But I, I I've seen the film so many times. There are there are some bits of it that make me slightly cringe uh, mm. after all of these years, uh, especially knowing what they were up to behind the scenes. Uh, you know, there was a lot of seeing prostitutes going on. You know, at the back. And of course, they were casting a movie, so they had access to lots of young women. So that was clearly a big preoccupation for both of them, and they really bonded over that. And you can sort of see a little bit of that on screen as well.
1: They're even joking about it in terms of uh, G- Gazara telling his daughter that I, I was we were writing and thinking last night, or we're doing deep <laughs> research, <laughs> yes. and it's just like, guys, that doesn't play well. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah.
0: Read the room. <laughs> There's uh, in. Uh, did you hear the? Did you hear the TCM, the Turner Classic Movies podcast about Bogdanovich's? life which no, he did no. he, you know I mean uh, luckily they got it done before he passed away right um, I actually contributed to the episode that deals with st. Jack um, and they do actually you know uh, Ben mankovic's of course relative of Mank mm. who you've mentioned on previous podcasts <laughs> um he does call Peter out on, on his sort of macho and misogynistic behavior a, a couple of times. And actually, it's, it's a pretty good moment if you, you you listen to that episode. He does talk to Peter about the sort of dynamics of him... Uh, you know, uh, 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 basically, sort of acquiring the women who he was casting in the film.
1: But I mean, that 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 feels like it's also what the film is about, to some degree. It it, it is about. It's not like this is something that um, is unexamined. You know, uh, maybe it could yeah. be done a bit more critically. But on the other hand, one of the things that I really liked about the movie, and I I, I can't claim originality for this because I, I I looked at um, a letterboxed review. And somebody was saying how they really, really loved Gazara's character Jack because he was sex positive, and I thought, yeah, you don't often think of that. That you know, there's, there's, you know, a- again, in a bad version of this movie him being a pimp would just be an automatically negative thing would just be automatically mm. he's exploiting these women this is terrible this is horrible but there's an element that he's just like yeah everyone's having sex and that's what everyone's here for and why not why is it yeah i mean he's basically it's he's a sex worker he's middle management as a as a sex worker you know and there are definite yeah, issues no, totally, with that yeah. there's definite issues with that there's definite problems with that but also let's not just immediately sort of knee-jerk react from a sort of Victorian mindset. Let's let
0: yeah. Yeah, no, the the way that Jack doesn't judge anybody about their sexuality at all. And and again doesn't patronise, there's no kind of like you know when he's interacting with the trans characters, there's nothing there's no sense that he looks down on them at all. And that you know that yeah that non-judgmental quality to it does make the film kind of ahead of its time for an American film. It is actually quite unusual to see a character who isn't casting any judgment at all.
1: When he goes to the hotel with William and the the he he says to the sort of the bellboy or whoever's the bellboy yeah yeah and he sort of says eh, wipe that smirk off your face I know what you're thinking and yes, but it's yes, not yes. like. It's not like a a hang up of a like, he thought we were, he thought we were were gay and, you know, gets angry about it or. No, 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 he doesn't
0: care at all.
1: yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just like he thinks it's funny, you know. So Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That that, that could be what we're doing, but we're not doing
0: it. Yeah, no, and, and that scene, I love that scene, by the way, where he, he you know, where where, where Denim Elliot lies down on the bed and he brings in the water and he sort of makes sure the air conditioning on. It is so tender. It, it is almost romantic in its tenderness. Mm. And it is actually quite a rare depiction of male friendship. But then there, after, that, after he leaves the hotel room, one of my favorite shots in the film is a tracking shot of Ben Gazzara walking down a corridor in Raffles Hotel. And you can sort of see a bit of the, the, what's happening outside the window. It's almost in silhouette. And it's such a beautiful shot, but it also has this real quality of him thinking about death, basically. And him knowing mm. that this guy that he's just left behind has is not, is not got long for the world and thinking about his own death. And it's really powerful, and there are there are a number of shots like that. I mean, we should talk about Robbie Müller, the cinematographer.
1: I was I was exactly. That's a good point. I was going to I was to ask about that. Go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I, I actually forgotten quite how Robbie got involved in the film. It's, it's in my book. I, I do remember. There's a story that um, American Friend, Wim Bender's American Friend, was playing in America, and so Bogdanovich rings up Sybil Shepherd and says, "Can you go and see American Friend and tell me what it looks like?" And she says, I couldn't make head nor tail of the film, but it looks great. And so they hired Robbie on the back of that recommendation. I think Pierre Cottrell had actually pushed for Robbie um, because other French cinematographers weren't available. And then they hired Robbie, and and not just Robbie, but his entire team, his whole camera crew that he had by that point been working with for a while on the Vendors films. And they were all flown out to Singapore. So there was this Dutch film crew. I mean... You know, for people that don't know St. Jack, it is an extraordinary collection of people that end up working on this film. You've got Robbie Muller and the, and the Dutch camera team, who've all been working on Vin Vender's films and and other great films uh, for the last decade, at least by that point. Uh, you've got Jean Pierre Roux, who's a, a sort of sound man who'd worked a lot with Polanski. He later worked with Sergio Leone. Uh, he worked with Eric Romer, which is how Pierre Cottrell knew him. And he was a real innovator in terms of uh, using radio mics on set, which he did on, on St. Jack. Uh, you've got the makeup artist from Star Wars, Graham Freeborn and his son, who are doing the the very hardly seen tattoo makeup on Ben Gazzara. You've got a French assistant director. You've got Lisa Liu, who is a legendary Chinese actress who'd gone to America to be in a, in, in American films gone back to hong kong and had been in shaw brothers films playing the empress dowager which she a role she reprised in bertolucci's the last emperor she is in the film and had been hired to work on the film by roger corman because they felt like it was good to have someone who spoke chinese uh you know on the on the producing side and of course you've got bogdanovich and you've got kazara and you've got george lazenby James Bond himself pops up playing playing <laughs> playing a gay senator <laughs> and he's
1: excellent in it as well i mean he gets a lot of stick for uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but he, uh, which I actually, which I love by like, the way, exactly. Yeah, I was going to just about to say it's it it's a good it's a really good performance, I think. But his in this film, he's he's super.
0: Well, that's another that's a, you were talking about that non-judgmental quality. The scene where Jack bribes the 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 hustler, the gay the gay prostitute, to go up to his room or, or to let Jack see what's going on in the room. That is another beautiful little moment where, you know, the way that Jack treats that guy who is also not a professional actor and is obviously from that world, they cast him because he was from that world. And it's just done, you know, it does it doesn't feel like he's threatening him, it doesn't feel like he's bullying him, it doesn't feel like he's homophobic. But yes, George Lazenby agreed to do it because he was in Singapore shooting an episode of Hawaii 50. And they just said to him, like, We need a we need a guy to play this role, and I think they hadn't they hadn't cast it. I'm not quite sure why they hadn't cast it. That was the way it worked with a lot of roles. Bogdanovich also cast himself last minute to play the CIA guy. That was meant to be Charles Grodin at one point, but I don't think they ever did anything much about it. So there was a very improvised quality to it, and because they knew Lazenby was there, he agreed to be in the film, and it was kind of amazing that he would do that role because it's so against type for him.
1: And, and it works because of that, because it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, this this sort of exterior sort of... as american masculinity and then and then he's uh you know he's getting boys to come up to the hotel room
0: yes exactly yes which is different that's a big difference from the book in the book it's kind of a different situation it's with a a girl that he brings back uh, but in the book, you know, they're, one of the issues in the book is they feel like they haven't got enough material to blackmail the character. So, so, so Jack is really hoping that 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 the, you know he'll show them the pictures, but it won't really play, so he can be let off the hook. Mm. But Bogdanovich had a different view; he wanted it to be really shocking what mm. was happening in the hotel. And actually, they spent they spent they they took a couple of days off shooting to sit in the hotel to try and figure out the whole sequence. And to figure out what was going to be happening in that hotel room and that's that's what they ended up with.
1: In terms of the way they use that we talked about it a little bit earlier, but that this could easily be a sort of sexploitation movie. And in fact, like Corman, according to your book, uh, you know, he's quoted in your book as saying, you know, this was a film about sex in singapore and it didn't have anywhere near enough nudity i mean it's quite restraint it's quite restrained in that
0: roger corman it's fair to say was very disappointed <laughs> with, with that with that with the lack of what he would probably call marketable elements uh yeah he, he 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 i think he even said to me in the interview that he would have liked them to have gone back and shot some more nudity and sex but it was just not an option because they basically had to run out of town before they got caught by the authorities. So yes, it was a big disappointment for him, yeah.
1: The relationship of the of Bogdanovich with, with the crew and with, with everybody, it, it kind of gets quite quite bumpy. What was your sense of that? Because there's a lot of sort of uh, he said, she said about that um, element of the production. I think, you,
0: you know, I mean, I got to know Peter a little bit by, you know, talking to him on the phone. But the, right. the, the Peter I was meeting was a Peter who'd been truly humbled by life and obviously in particular losing the woman that he, the love of his life, Dorothy Stratton to a terrible, in a terrible murder and then losing all of his money and losing his career and losing a lot of his status. So I was talking to a Peter who was, who was a, you know, very affable Peter Bogdanovich, but the Peter Bogdanovich of 1978 was really, even though he'd been, he'd had his, um, uh, box office flops, he was still pretty much on top of the world and I think Peter was somebody that some people really got on with and really had a good time with and other people just didn't like him and just took very strongly against him. And uh, I think the crew was sort of divided in that in that regard. Uh, and I think that a lot of the Europeans didn't warm to him greatly. They found him pretty arrogant. Um, Robbie Muller told me that he found Bogdanovich somebody that you know you you had to kind of manage basically, mm. you know you 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 handled him with care, and there is some great footage that was shot by the BBC of them filming, and you actually get to see the the relationship between Robbie and Peter. And Robbie is, uh, you know, it's well known that on sets, Robbie was beloved by the crew and often the cast. Seeing them work together is really interesting because they obviously found a way to work. And you can see Peter being slightly deferential to Robbie, which was, you know, not what you necessarily expect. Uh, And so I think, you know, Peter was, to some extent, could be divisive. I mean, Cottrell really disliked him and just found him so arrogant and found... You know, ironically, Cottrell, the sort of French cosmopolitan who'd come up through the new wave, he found Peter's behavior kind of abhorrent. He found all of the all of the seeing all the prostitutes and all of that stuff somewhat disgusting. Um, And he really kind of stressed that to me that he, he thought Peter's behavior was pretty shocking and exploitative. So there was there was that element too playing into it. But yeah, I think people had different opinions about Peter. And I don't, I don't think... I, did, I didn't get a sense of like him being just dreadful. Mm. Uh, he was definitely arrogant. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And I think if you got on the wrong side of him, he wouldn't be an easy person to to deal with. He expected a very high level from everybody around him. Yeah, I. I, uh, I but but I, I also think there are people that loved him and really got on well with him. And, and you can see that through his career and the later parts of his career. I mean, when he when he passed away, there was such an outpouring of grief and and people who worked with him sending these writing these really beautiful accounts of projects that they'd done with him and how sweet he was. But that was all a kind of post 80s Peter really, that they were talking about. But, you know, even even people that work with him on the Last Picture Show, there's a real fondness there for Peter. He is a very... He's kind of a still, for me, a very enigmatic person uh, and a very unique character and very unique personality.
1: It's weird, because other than seeing The Last Picture Show, um, my first... My second first meeting with him would have been as the author of this is awesome worlds and and yes. reading that and so also sort of seeing him very much as an acolyte and as a researcher and as a somebody who's a, who is building up sort of golden age hollywood it's almost like he's an extension of the cayes people you know how truffaut you know found
0: well he he was definitely an auteurist yeah you know, yeah exactly him, him and Andrew Sarris were 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 heavily into the auteur thing to some yeah. degree yeah yeah
1: so him going around and interviewing john ford and frank capra and all these people hitchcock yeah yeah yeah. so i mean the film comes out and it's interesting as well that it it isn't a flop by any means it's actually kind of quite successful
0: right well it i think it wasn't it didn't really make any money in america and it got it got critical acclaim in europe and it won the critics award at venice and denham elliott was nominated for a bafta in the uk Although I did a little bit of research and it seemed it was released almost entirely only in London, in Soho, in some sort of sleazy cinema in Soho. It did did not have a wide release in the UK. And uh, the American reception was mixed. You know, there were Roger Ebert really liked it. But uh, Vincent Canby in the New York Times didn't like it, which was really, for for Peter, the New York Times was really the one. You know, you've got to get a great review from the New York Times. So he was still upset about that review. All of those years later, when I spoke to him,
1: he says, "Can be can be slept through the screening."
0: Yeah, he'd heard a rumor that Can be had fallen asleep. Yeah, so yeah, that that I mean, Peter took that to heart, and also he felt that Roger didn't do a good job with the release. Mm. That Roger tried to release it like a B movie, and it needed a bigger it needed a bigger platform. You know, you know the the story is that that Peter wanted to sell the film to a studio, right, and get it and get it away from Roger. And uh, was hoping a bit, you know, he was hoping that he once people saw the edited version, uh, that he could he could sell it and actually have a proper release for it. But that never happened. The studios didn't buy. I you know I don't know whether the offers ever came or or whether there were not enough money. I'm not quite sure what happened. I mean I know that Peter and, and and Roger remained on good terms in the end, but there was a wobbly moment there where they weren't very happy with each other in the aftermath of Saint Jack and i think roger told me that it it did eventually break even but it took a long time Mm. it was one of the few films that roger corman had put money into that he didn't make money back you know within a certain period of time and he did have to wait a long time before it eventually broke even uh so it wasn't a flop It, it wasn't a disaster it wasn't a flop in the way that the earlier films that peter bogdanovich had made you know a long last love and and daisy miller and nickelodeon they were considered flops because they were big budget films Mm. made by studios whereas this was an independent film basically made on a very low budget with very low expectations it was just that peter was seen as this big time hollywood director and for him yeah he wanted he wanted both critical acclaim and financial success which he had seen with last picture show and what's up doc and paper moon they had all hit all the buttons, you know. So that's what he expected, and it didn't happen, and it was a big disappointment. But he then used the energy of this guerrilla approach to filmmaking to go into um, they all laughed, which would which was going to be the next project that was really going to put him on the map. And in a way, he saw Saint Jack as kind of like a test run for like I'm going to get back into location filming. I'm going to get back to people being on the streets. We're going to run and gun. We're not going to get permission. We're just going to improvise. And that's what they all laughed was. So in a way, weirdly enough, it's sort of St. Jack Part 2. And Robbie Muller was brought to New York to shoot it. Um, So there was that continuity as well. And Ben, of course, Ben Gazzara was going to star again. So they wanted to kind of reproduce the magic of St. Jack. And, of course, that, that didn't happen. Um, and partly that was because of what happened with with Dorothy Stratton.
1: I just I, I just have to absolutely underline that um, if you ha- if you're listening to this and you haven't seen St Jack you really got to watch it. It's a real
0: and and I I presume you saw it online. Yeah. Yes. So somebody I don't know about 4 years ago somebody did put the whole film on YouTube and I'm amazed that it's still up there <laughs> I really am. But if you want to see it in fantastic quality versions of it there is a there's an American Blu-ray available mm. uh from a company called Scorpion uh which I think might be out of print but you can probably get copies on eBay and I did I did a commentary track for that and a couple oh, wow. of little documentaries uh, I, I made a couple of little documentaries or produced a couple of little documentaries. One is an interview with cast and crew that we gathered for a screening we did in 2009 that was a, an anniversary screening. It was the 30th anniversary screening. We did it in Singapore. And I did get quite a number of cast and crew back. So we, we, we've we got that on the, on the Blu-ray and and also a short piece about looking at Singapore now and Singapore then and comparing the locations. So if you can get the Blu-ray, please do.
1: So in the end, you did do your documentary that you had originally intended
0: i did i mean not as originally intended but yes documentaries were made and i'm hoping there may be something more we can do with that material and there may be some other kind of saint jack project coming out of it but one thing i definitely want to do is do a new version of the book right because you as you say when you read the bits at the back about what happened to everyone next it's pretty out of date and I did do, um, I, you know, when people buy the book and and I know about it because they they buy it from me. I do send them a PDF, which is my afterword. But my, even my afterword now is so out of date. My afterword was was written, you know, four or five years ago, so that's now seriously out of date. And with Peter passing, I feel like I've really got to go back to the stuff and 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 do a new edition. And there is more. There is a little bit more research to be done. I mean, there are documents and things I haven't seen. There's a couple of people I haven't spoken to. Um, and I also want to write more about the film itself because my book is very much a making of. And it's sort of... Um, it doesn't really talk much about the actual film in so much as to set you up so you know the context of what's going on and why it's relevant Um but I really would like to write more of an appreciation of the film because I think it is a beautiful film and an under and still an underrated film. But it's great to see. In the last four or five years, it has started to gather even more interest around it. And you know, if it was a cult movie when I wrote my book, it's much more so now. And I, you know, e- even yesterday, uh, I on online I was seeing people quoting to each other about it because. Uh, Since Peter died, there's a package of his films that's traveling around America for basically tributes to Peter. So they're showing Last Picture Show, uh, Targets, I think, uh, What's Up Doc, and St. Jack is part of that package. So again, more people are seeing the film and uh, more people are kind of saying, hey, I love this film. And it's my favourite film, and uh, and and I'm like, yes, great. Please read my book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I think it really, really deserves to be to be rediscovered. I'm very happy to to promote it on that basis because it's just such a. Uh, as I say, if you hadn't sent me that book, I would not have. I, I don't know when I would have come across this. And the other thing is it sort of spikes out into other sort of underseen and underappreciated films. I mean, on the back of this, I uh, started watching, uh, I watched Husbands, which I'd never seen before, John Casavitis. And then that just got me into, now I've, I've watched Opening Night, which, which in yes. a way has a similar sort of, not production history, but, but reception history, if you like. It sort of doesn't even come out properly and it's 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 all over the place in terms of, in terms of like, I think a DVD comes out in the middle of the nineties and is quickly sort of disappears. And
0: so, right, 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 right.
1: You know, there are these, these filmmakers who are, they, they did really good work and it's, it, it deserves to be to be out there and to be and to be seen and
0: watched. Well, yeah, I mean, there's always more things to discover, right? I mean, there's mm. there's always gems in people's filmographies that you can't believe you overlooked, um, and there's always films made by people you've never heard of that are amazing and incredible, and that's that's one of the sort of the gifts that keeps giving of cinephilia that there's always. There's always more to find and always more to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also something that makes you reappraise someone's work. You know, I I watch this and I think, that that, this shows me an element of Bogdanovich's sort of career that I didn't appreciate before. So I'm kind of tempted now to go back and watch some of his other films through a St. Jack lens, if you like.
0: Yeah, interesting. One thing you might notice is that he has a thing about uh, shenanigans in hotels. right. Pride. It's a recurring yeah, right, right. motif uh, that I've noticed in his films. There's often stuff involving people in the wrong hotel room or going into hotel rooms they shouldn't. There's a whole extended bit in Paper Moon about that. There's a whole thing in She's Funny That Way about hotel rooms. Yes, and, yeah. uh, and and She's Funny That Way was inspired by what happened in Singapore where he gave money to prostitutes and told them to quit the business. So that was the germ of the idea that went into into what became his last film was from Saint Jack. But yeah, there's a whole bit about hotel rooms and then in Saint Jack there's the whole hotel business at the at the end of the film. So I yeah, I remember when I was watching rewatching Paper Moon when I was researching Saint Jack, I was like, Oh my god, he's back to he's back to people in hotel rooms and keys and and this was obviously a weird obsession that he had.
1: It's probably just reflecting his life, sort of an itinerant sort of, uh, you know,
0: traveller. Yes, maybe. And, you know. Well, there there are uh, Saint Jack has a lot of hotels in it.
1: I need to ask you for a recommended book, as I ask all my guests. So, uh, what what film book would you like to recommend our listeners?
0: Well, is it is it? Am I able to recommend a publication that's sort of half halfway between a book and a magazine?
1: You you may. Depends entirely on which one it is, I guess.
0: Well, I'm I'm, I'm holding up now for you to see, Obviously, the listeners can't see but so this is an edition of a of a a kind of book magazine journal which is called Nung, n-a-n-g which is the the thai word for skin which is sometimes used as the thai word for screen for cinema and it's a word Ah, that that pops up in in other southeast asian countries as well and uh it's a, a publication it's a 10 uh edition or 10 issue publication that was created by a friend of mine whose name is Davida Cazaro. And he had this idea of creating these 10 magazines about Asian cinema. And each one is edited by a different person, or sometimes it's two people who have an interest in Asian cinema. And each one is themed around the editor's interests. And they're very, very beautifully produced. They've, they're, they're made with extremely kind of high qualities of design and photo reproduction and paper um, and they are like, they are books, basically. I mean, they're, they're, they're right. book length. And uh, I had the great privilege of editing the very first issue of Nung, which is about screenwriting in Asia. You know, I was really, really happy to do it. It was an amazing opportunity uh, to edit and, you know, to find all of these screenwriters and get people to interview screenwriters in an area that was really underserved. I mean, no one has really done a, a single volume about that before. And each issue is completely different. Uh, some are a bit more academic. Some are totally accessible. Some are have lots of interviews. There's one that's just commissioned short stories reflecting on Asian cinema. Uh, there's one more to come, which will be issue 10. And then Davida will kind of wrap up the project. And he's now currently moved on to working for MUBI because MUBI... Are now doing a print-only publication called, which is going to be then their new version of their notebook. And Davide is working on that, so it's sort of his work with Nung has led him into now working for Mubi. Uh, in the end, we all end up working for big streaming companies. It's unavoidable, uh, one way, one way or the other. Uh, but 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 Nung is still available. You can go to nungmagazine.com and you can get all of the issues apart from the one I edited. I'm very proud and somewhat smug to announce it's the only one that's completely sold out and uh, but the other other eight that are available you can you can order online and uh, you can go in and look at the contents and there's tons of stuff in there they're really really good and they're real labors of love and they are content that you can't read online so that's another aspect that makes them really special so that if that's okay (laughs) well <laughs> oh, that's fine
1: that sounds that's brilliant that sounds like a really interesting thing that's interesting by this idea of people doing only paper printing now it's like you know uh, publishing is entering its vinyl stage where we're going to yeah. we're going to we've for drawn sure. from the internet and we're going to say look if you want to read this you're going to have to buy a book or you're going to have to buy the magazine because it's not going to be you know david simon uh, the creator of the wire was very interesting on the uh, it was very 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 sort of critical and disparaging of the whole publishing industry saying why would what in what business do you give away your entire product for free you know in terms of newspapers and magazines you know why oh, why did God. you just dump everything online as at the minute that uh the internet came around
0: okay so his his point is that you know it's it's over now because they gave it all away for free right Uh,
1: yeah i mean he was talking in the when will it have been it would be the early noughts i guess uh and so his he was you know it was kind of right when that was happening and to tell you the truth nowadays it's kind of difficult to read newspapers online for free i mean other than the guardian
0: yeah I pay for the New York Times for my sins.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, most is most is behind. Most stuff is behind paywalls now. So I, I guess they listen to David Simon.
0: But but the yeah, I mean the the print only thing. I mean that's been going on for a while. You know there is this whole kind of subculture of print only magazines uh, that are and there is a kind of hipster element to that, as you say, a kind of like going back to vinyl or VHS tape. There's definitely a feeling of of uh, you know let's reject. Um, the idea that everything is accessible instantly. And yeah. I think that, they're, they're, you know, I, I agree with some of that for sure. Uh, sometimes the magazines can be just purely beautiful objects and have very little content in them, uh, which is you know there's a market for that. But um, David's uh, Nung project is really very content rich. Mm, uh, mm. Uh, but we we also did he has done we have done some online stuff as well. So I actually edited a, an online special edition a couple of years ago. So we're not totally rejecting the internet, and of course the internet is how you get the thing. So all of these things work well together, but I think with Mooby's Notebook they want to do something. You know, they've they've had the Notebook website for years, which used to be I don't know whether you remember it used to be called the Auteurs at one point. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, before they rebranded. Uh, although that seems like a hundred years ago, but uh, they've been putting content on that website forever. But now they want to create something more exclusive that's initially was for their subscribers, but I think it is going to be sold in shops. And yes, they want to create something that's kind of special and collectible, and that definitely speaks to a desire that people have for things that aren't just free and easily available.
1: Oh, brilliant! Well, listen, Ben, thanks so much for uh, thank thank you for introducing me, introducing me to Saint Jack, because and thanks for a my great... pleasure, man. And it was a, a really, really good book, a really interesting read. And it, not only in terms of the making of the film, but like, as you were saying right at the very beginning of the conversation, I'm totally ignorant about Singapore. And so uh, reading about the history of Singapore and how it relates to the film as well, all of that stuff was, was super.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I know I really appreciate it. And I've been really enjoying the podcasts.
1: Okay, so that was my conversation with Ben. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember, if you want, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Dr. DrJonti, D R J O N T Y. I passed ten thousand followers, uh, and I shouldn't be pleased about this sort of thing, but I guess I am. Uh, it's very rainy here in Italy this morning. That's when I'm recording this, and uh, and so um, I think it's uh, it might I might I might go and rewatch Saint Jack. Because I want to live in those beautiful tropical climes once more. Thanks go to Elliot Atkins for the music. Annie Howard for the artwork. And thank you for listening. Until next week.